Hallelujah, Jesus. So good to have everyone here today, here in this building and online. Jesus' name. Matthew eighteen, nineteen and twenty says, Again I say unto thee unto you, that if two shall of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that shall be asked, that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Verse twenty, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am, there am I in the midst of them. Amen. And so we are in this place. It's just a building. But we are His people. We're the sheep of His pasture. We have His name applied to our life. And so therefore we are, we fall right into that category. We are gathered together in His name. And He is in the midst of us right now. Because He lives in each one of us. He dwells, so we carry Him with us everywhere we go. So He's definitely in the midst of us today. And so let's just pray that God would have His way throughout this service today. Let's pray for our pastor and his wife, that God will give them rest and refreshing in their mind, their spirit, their body, that, that the Lord will minister to them where they are today in Jesus' name. Let's pray together, church. Father, we love You. We honor You. We praise You. We give You glory. And we thank You, Father, for every breath. We thank You, Lord Jesus, for all that You've done in our lives thus far today. Lord, You woke us up and clothed us in our right mind, O God. You gave us peace and joy. You gave us, O God, all of Your many blessings today. And we're so thankful that we have ears to hear today, that You've given us ears to hear, not just natural ears, but spiritual ears, Lord Jesus, that we would have ears to hear, that we would receive. Receive, O God, the engrafted word that is able to save our souls today. Lord, use your vessels mightily today. Lord, let us receive as your vessels, O God, as your children, Lord. O God, whatever it is that you have for us today, let us come hungering and thirsting, O God, after righteousness today. Let us come hungry and thirsty. O God, for something, O God, that you would give us, O God, that you would challenge us, O God. Move upon us today. Let your angels, O God, be encamped around about us today. Lord, let your ministering angels be in this place. God, to minister to each soul, each heart, each individual, here and online, O God. Send your angels around, O God, this city. Whoever might be listening to this now, today, or sometime in the future, Lord, that there would be a blessing and a ministry that would go forth that would reach the heart and soul of somebody in Jesus' name. Jesus' name, amen. Let's clap our hands and just tell the Lord we love Him today. Father, I love You, praise You, I honor You, I bless Your name. I thank You for all that You do in our life, Father. Lord, we can't thank You enough for all of Your blessings today in Jesus' name. Amen. Sister Linda's going to come and minister to us this morning. Would you all stand? Can we just lift our voices unto the Lord? It's easy to clap our hands, but we need to give Him something. We need to give of ourselves. Can you lift your voice and just thank Him for where He's brought you from, for what He's going to do today? 
Are you anticipating what he has for you? I'm in, I'm in great expectation because my expectation, O oh Lord, comes from you. We thank you, O oh Lord, that we have this opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth, O oh God. We do pray that we would have ears to hear what thus saith the Lord. God, it is you that worketh in us to both will and to do of your good pleasure. Let us not take this for granted, O Lord. Your presence is so sweet, and we want to sit at your feet. We want to hear your voice. We want to listen to what thus saith the Lord. Thank you, O God, for this opportunity to be with you, to read your word, to meditate upon your word, to grow in your grace and your knowledge, O God to have the privilege without fear to come and to enter into your presence. Thank you, O Lord. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. We give you the praise. There is none like you in all the earth, and I thank you, Lord. I bless your holy name. Bless your people today, God. Bless them, O God, because they got up out of their beds, and they came, O God, to hear what thus saith the Lord. Bless them, O God, and keep them that you would make thy face shine upon them, be gracious unto them, lift up thy countenance upon them, and give them peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. It does take discipline. In whatever we want to do in life, it takes discipline. My family was in karate. And that takes a lot of discipline. Um, my daughter was actually better than my oldest son and my younger son at karate. But the instructor told us one day, you know, because my older son was very good. He had a lot of discipline. He really liked it. Um, karate takes flexibility. It takes endurance. It takes sacrifice. It takes concentration. And um, my oldest son, he would stretch like 45 minutes before he would even go to karate because you have to have that flexibility. And then they would stretch in class. My daughter, she was very quick. And um, she had the abilities. But the instructor told us one day, you know, she is really good at it, but she just doesn't apply herself. She's better than Quaid. So whatever we do in life, it takes disciplines. So throughout this process, karate, you go. You start with a white belt, and then you, you go through a process, and you get a yellow belt and a gold belt and a green belt and a purple belt and a brown belt. And then eventually, if you follow through, you end up getting a black belt. And then from there, you can get degrees, second degree, third degree. So there was a man named Cully, and he had moved from, I believe, Texas. And uh, it's a small world because he was married to our friend and piano teacher's uh, sister-in-law. So Cully was really good at what he did. Um, he had some natural abilities, but he also had the go-get-it abilities. And you could go to class as many times as you wanted in a week. They had karate from Monday through Saturday, and then you also had sparring classes. And so in karate, you learn forms, and for every belt, you have a form. And that form is just putting into practice the things you're learning, uh, the hand motions, 
the kicking, because actually it was created for a self-defense. Um, but in our day and age, you weren't supposed to take that to the street. That wasn't the purpose of it. You were developing in yourself some self-disciplines. So we watched Coley grow. He ended up getting his brown belt, and he got his black belt. And during the black belt test, you do every form from the white belt all the way through the black belt form. You create your own form using these movements and these kicks that you have learned. And they test your endurance. You, it is at least an hour to an hour and a half of moving, of kicking. Uh, then you have to spar with all the black belts. It's very rigorous and hard. But Cully did it, and he did it well. After he became a black belt, he decided, and he wasn't a young man. He was in his later 20s, I want to even say early 30s. He decided that he was going to have a career change, and he would become a nurse. And he did that, which takes discipline, study, it's hard work. And he did it. And we happened to have another friend, because it is a small world, that was a nurse who told us the story years later. When you become a black belt, then you're addressed as Mr. So he's, he was Mr. Lee then. He was no longer Cully to us. So Mr. Lee was a nurse, and our friend Greg was a nurse. And they happened to be on the same schedule in the same place at this, on this particular day. And they happened to work in the psychiatric ward at this time. So they had brought a patient for the doctor to see, and that patient got out of hand and broke that doctor's nose. And before you knew it, because of Cully's training, because he was a black belt, he had brought that man to the ground and nobody else was hurt, including that man. You never know the things that you are learning, that God is teaching you, when you're going to be able to use it. On that day, I don't think they realized that they were going to be in a precarious situation. I don't think that doctor went in there thinking, I'm going to see this patient and he's going to break my nose. So God positions us. And now we're going to start by talking about how God positioned John the Baptist to herald, to be the light, to condition the people's hearts for the Messiah to come. And I would like to take you there because sometimes we don't really understand the culture or the day in which Jesus lived, what it was like for them. So imagine you do have your Pharisees and your priests. You're going through your religious, some of it ended up being tradition or habits. You are a state that has a ruler over you that you just, don't like. They are worshipers of not the one God, but they're emperor worshipers. They're idolaters. They have a Hellenistic viewpoint. They don't have the same viewpoint as the, the Romans did not as the Jews. And the Jews were just kind of sick and tired of their rule over them. But they had learned to appease the Roman government because they knew what sedition would cost them. They knew how cruel the Romans could be. They're the ones that created the crucifixion. 
So they're not the only ruling or conquering entities that used fear to control their people. That's a lot of times that's what the enemy does. He brings in fear to control. So during this time, I want to take you there and tell you and explain to you what it was like for these people. They had not seen or heard a prophet for, over, for they say, close to 400 years. Not that I don't think the Lord was speaking, but they didn't see that prophet. The prophets like Jeremiah and Elijah and Elisha. They had the Pharisees, and they had the Sadducees, and they had the priests. They could go to the temple and worship. But a word from God directly, they had not had for hundreds of years. They were waiting for that Messiah. They were waiting for somebody to come and just take this yoke of the Romans off them because they were sick and tired of it. And they, if they did not comply, they knew eventually that they would either have to be emperor worshipers or, or they were going to be annihilated because there was not, it was not either way. They were not going to be able to appease this emperor who thought that he was God and worship one God. So here we have on the scene is Zacharias and Elizabeth. The Bible says in Luke that they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord. They were blameless. That was a testimony that the Lord gave of them. But yet, Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well stricken in years. Well, so she didn't have children. You know, nowadays, some people can and some people can't. And nowadays, children, they aren't held in high esteem as it was back then. Your children were the ones that were going to take care of you in your old age. And it was a blessing from the Lord if you had children. So if you didn't have children, people kind of looked at you like, what's wrong with them? Why isn't the Lord favoring them? But the Lord is telling us right now, right here, he's giving the testimony that they were righteous, that there was nothing wrong with them. There was not sin in their life, and that was not why they were not bearing children. But God had a greater purpose. He had a different timing. So Zechariah, it was his lot to burn incense in the temple. And so the people are waiting outside the temple. They are praying. They are praying that God will forgive them. And, you know, Zacharias, this might have been the last time that he was going to do this because he was old in age. And after a time, you just quit serving in the temple. And there was a rotation. You didn't always do the same thing. So this is the time that he's going, this one last time. And when he goes in, he goes to the table of incense, and there on the right-hand side of that table, he sees an angel of the Lord. And immediately fear comes on him. And I'm, I'm not supposing that that's the way it would be for us. Here you are, you're going in, you're not anticipating anybody else being there. And all of a sudden he sees this angel, 
And he recognizes that it's an angel of the Lord. And then he's fearful because he doesn't know, why is this angel here? He's troubled. And then the angel said to him, don't be afraid. Thy prayer is heard. Thy wife Elizabeth shall bear a son. Now, Zacharias knows that she's barren, that she's old, that the time for her to have children has always already come to come and gone. And so he's pondering these. He's pondering these things. And then all of a sudden the angel of the Lord is giving him instructions. He's instructing Zechariah to name the boy John. And he's saying, you will be glad, and many shall rejoice at his birth. And then he's not to drink any wine or strong drink, and he's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel Israel, shall turn to the Lord their God. He will go in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So he's throwing all these things at Zechariah. I don't even know if he's able to process all of this stuff because he had prayed for years, him and his wife, for a, a child. And all of a sudden this angel appears and he's saying, okay, this is the time, and now I'm giving you instruction. So we're going to read from Luke 1.17. And it shall, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Eliza, which is Elijah, to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make re- ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he was the forerunner of Christ. He was come because men's hearts were so hardened that even as the Messiah came, There had to be a preparation time in their hearts. Their hearts had to be changed. Their thinking had to be changed. Their vision had to be changed. So this is who John was going to be. So after all this, John is like, he doesn't believe it. He's kind of stunned. And um, he's like, "How, how, or Zacharias is, and he's like, how can this happen? And the angel goes on to say that I am the angel of the Lord. I stand in God's presence on Gabriel. And because you're not believing everything that I'm telling you, you're not going to be able to speak until after the child is born and you name him. So the fear of the Lord, it comes upon him. He goes home. He communicates this to his wife. And down the line, in nine months, sure enough, Elizabeth has this baby. And after eight days, they're going to circumcise him. And at this circumcision is when they give the baby a name. And traditionally, you use a name, either the father's name or a name that is in your family line. So all the people are calling him Zacharias, and Elizabeth says, no. So they go to John, and they give him a writing tablet, and they're like, you know, she's saying his name is John, but... He should be Zacharias, and Zacharias writes down, no, his name is John. And as soon as that happens, he is able to speak. And speak he does. He begins to prophesy. 
He says his name is going to be John. So we're going to go to Luke 1, 65 and 66. So he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. So they're trying to get this in their heads. Why, why are you calling him John? We don't know anybody in your family, John. That's not your name. That's not a family name. And the fear came on all that dwelt round about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. So what they heard that day, what they saw that day, the people that were there did not keep it to themselves. And then we're going to read Zechariah or Luke 67 through 80 because Zechariah prophesied in the hearing of all these people. So now they're getting to kind of get this feel of a prophetic word is going out. A prophet is coming. And the father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of the holy prophets, which had been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember thy holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life, And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto this people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercies of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give us light, to give light to them that sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet unto the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. So here comes a prophecy. How long had it been since they had heard a prophecy from the Lord? How long had it been since there had been a prophet in their country? They had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they did know the law of God. They added to it. But they were the spiritual leaders of that day. The high priests, they were the spiritual leaders. You knew who they were by their robes and their clothing. You knew who they were by the best seats in a feast. They were the ones that were given honor. They were the ones that had disciples. What is a disciple? It's a pupil. It's one who sits and learns. They, they had dis- disciples who were following them, listening to what they had to say emulating them. But here was a prophet that was going to be coming on the scene. And where was John? Where was John? He was in the desert with the Lord. He was like Elijah. He had a camel's hair for his coat. He had a leather girt 
girdle about him. It says he had locusts and honey were his food. He wasn't a high priest that had these costly robes. When he came, people weren't looking at him because of his high stature. But he comes out of the desert. So in Luke 3, 2, it talks about him coming out. We're going to read verses 2 through 6. And in Ananias and Caiaphas, being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight the paths. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So like the prophets of old, he was prophesying to them. He had come out to prepare the people for the coming Messiah. It had been a long time since they had heard a prophet. It had been a long time since somebody was speaking something different than what their spiritual leaders were speaking. Think of the prophet Jeremiah. Everything he had to say was opposite of what all the other supposed prophets were prophesying. He was prophesying that they would be defeated in battle. All the other prophets were telling the king, no, you go ahead. The Lord's got this. So here comes this man, John, who is telling people that they need to repent. Far and wide, people had heard his message. He was baptizing. I hadn't heard that before. I mean, Naaman went in the water. He was a leper, and he went in the water, and he was washed. His leprosy was washed. But he was telling them that they were sinners, that they needed to have a heart change. And he he was telling them that they needed to prepare themselves because the Messiah was coming. There was going to be a change, and their hearts needed to be in that place that they could be changed. So let's go to Luke three ten through 12 and see who comes out to hear this prophet. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? And he answered and saith unto him, Thee that hath two clothes, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. They were tax collectors. They could collect as much tax as they wanted, and whatever was Profit over the top they got to keep. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them, all, I indeed baptize you with water, 
but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hands, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his grainer, but the chaff will he burn with unquenchable, unquenchable fire. And many other things in his exhortation, preaching he unto the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evil which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. So here John is. He's preaching repentance. He's telling them to get their hearts right with God. And even the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, are coming to hear him. They hear a voice that they've not heard before. There's Conviction is coming upon them. And they too know that even though they might be an emperor worship, that in their hearts, that emperor is not doing what a true God could do for them. They know that there's a lack in their heart. The Pharisees are sending out their disciples to ask John, Are you the Christ? Are you the one we should be looking for? Are you the Messiah? They won't come by them themselves because he calls them vipers. He calls them snakes. He's telling them the way it is. It's not sugar-coated. You know, what are we supposed to do? Well, if you see somebody hungry, you feed them. If you see somebody has a coat, you give them that coat. He's telling them exactly what they need to do. And then they're asking him, are you the Messiah? And he's like, no. The Messiah will come. He is just the forerunner. He was a light that came into the world to help prepare for the Messiah to come. And then Jesus comes to him. And he's like, I need to be baptized. And when the revelation and understanding comes to John of who he is, he's like, no, I should be baptized by you. But Jesus is telling him, you need to do this for me because I need to fulfill the law. And he does. And after that, John says, he must increase and I must decrease. Jesus must decrease. When we come to the Lord, when we repent and we're baptized in his name and filled with the Holy Ghost, it is that time that we want God to increase in our life. And we want to decrease. We want our flesh to decrease. So John knew this. And God knew this. And when you don't like the message, have you ever heard, don't kill the messenger? I'm just bringing you the message. But what does Herod do? He doesn't like what John has to say. He knows. He feels conviction in his heart. And he knows. The truth is he knew that what he did was wrong. So he put John in prison. He was afraid to kill him because he did feel like he was a prophet. And he did want privately to hear John. But his wife, now she, she was vindictive. And she was sick and tired of feeling like she was second rate. So when her daughter danced for Herod, and it pleased him. And he would said, how foolishly, we need to be careful the words we speak. Foolishly, he said, what do you want? I'll give you half of my kingdom. 
And so she went to her mother, and what, what should I ask for? And she said, the head of John on a charger. And so that's what Herod had to do. He was afraid of John. He would not. He ended up doing that. So where did John's disciples go? He began to cast out demons. He began to heal people. His custom was to go to the synagogues and to preach. So that's what he did. So now we're going to go to we're going to go to Luke 14 and 22. Before that we're going to go to that though. Jesus said something about John. This is a scripture I just read the other day that I didn't even ever remember reading. He said John he was speaking of John. He was a burning and a shining light. And ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. They were willing to rejoice in his life. But then there comes a place where they had to make decisions. Were they going to be baptized? Were they going to repent of their sins? Were they going to turn away from the things that they were doing and turn towards God? So Jesus comes on the scene. And one day... He's in the temple, in the synagogue. And, well, before that, after he was baptized, he went into the wilderness. And he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't eat. And then, after he was tempted, angels came and ministered to him. And then he began his ministry. So he goes to Capernaum. And as was the custom, they bring it scripture out they read the scripture in Aramaic and then whoever reads the scripture will sit down and they'll expound on it in the Hebrew language so that's exactly what Jesus did and when he did uh, let's go to Luke 5 no Luke 4 14 through 22 let's go there first And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. He was healing people. He was casting out devils. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, they weren't doing those kind of things. So I am sure that word got around quickly, especially if you needed a healing Or if you needed deliverance or you knew somebody that needed deliverance from a devil. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. 
And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach a gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book, he gave it again to the ministers, and he sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fasted on him, fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And he bare, and all bare him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? They knew him because he had grown up in Nazareth. And he had wisdom that they were wondering, where did he get that from? He had not sat under some great Pharisee or Sadducee whose name was well known. Truly, he had gone to the synagogue. He had been taught. But he had power. He, he was one who spoke with authority. Like John the Baptist, he had the authority of God. So they're trying to figure this out. They're thinking and they're pondering. And then Jesus speaks a parable to them. And he's saying to them, well, I'm supposing in your mind you're thinking, um, physician, heal thyself. He had done great wonders in different parts of the country. But the Bible says that a prophet, he doesn't receive honor in his own country. And because they thought he was just Jesus, Joseph's son, they didn't really have a whole lot of faith or stock into what he was saying. So he didn't do very many parables, great works there. And after he had spoke this parable, something was pricked in their hearts, and they just didn't like. They felt like he was being arrogant. They felt like, who are you to tell us? You know, you're, you're proclaiming that you're this great man. How, how can this be? We've seen you grow up. We know your mother, we know your sisters, we knew your father. And they were agitated in their hearts. And here it comes again. I don't like the message you're speaking, so we need to get rid of you. We're going to kill the messenger. So what did they do? They threw him out of the temple, out of the synagogue, and they were pushing him towards the city was built on a hill, and they were pushing him towards the edge of that hill because their plans were... They were so vindictive, they were so hateful that they were going to push him off headlong to die because they didn't like what he said. But that was not God's plan. And he was God, robed in flesh. And what did he do? He just walked away in the midst of them. What did they think after that? 
How did they think he escaped? I wonder what the conversations were after that. What did they really think? Did they realize, were they kind of getting it in their mind that maybe some of the things that he had said and what he was doing was really from God? You know, the reason they were, they had their man made laws and what they didn't like was when Jesus healed on the Sabbath day and when he cast out the devil on the Sabbath day. They just, they felt like they had their own rules and they were breaking the Sabbath not knowing that he was the Lord of the Sabbath and he was doing good works and that just got under their skin. That just got, that was something just that they just could not get over. So after this, Jesus decides to go to Galilee, and he goes to Peter's house. And when he goes to Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever in bed. And so they tell Jesus about that. And what does he do? He goes in, he takes her by the hand, he tells her to get up. Her fever's gone, and she starts ministering to them or waiting on them. And so in the evening... All these people are coming to Jesus to be healed and to be delivered because they believed the words he spoke. Some of them had seen what he had done. So the crowds are beginning to follow Jesus. And the next day, Jesus, Peter, Andrew, John, they were all fishermen. So what does he do in the middle of the night? They go out and fish because that's when they could catch the fish. They had been out fishing all night, and the crowds were following Jesus. So Jesus goes to the seashore, and the crowds were great. Peter and Andrew and, and their, their brothers, their, their partners, in out the nets because they had not caught any fish. And so fishermen would wash their nets. They would dry them. They would check them to make sure there were no holes in them because this is their livelihood. And they had fished all night, and Jesus saw Peter's boat, and the the crowd was great, pressing in on him. So he gets into Peter's boat, and he tells him, push it off a little ways from the shore. And he begins to talk to the people. And I'm sure that as they were cleaning their nets and stuff, they heard what Jesus had to say. But after Jesus was done talking, he says to Peter, Peter, cast your net in the deep. Go go cast your net. Now, Peter was a fisherman, not Jesus. He was a carpenter by trade. Peter didn't argue with him. Maybe by this time he knew enough that maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about. So, or maybe in his mind he's thinking, come on now, it's daytime. We don't catch fish in the daytime. They can see us. We have been fishing. Night. We know the fishing spots. We know where to go. We're fishermen. This is our trade. No matter what he was thinking, yet was he obedient. And they did that. And what happened? Their nets were so full that they had to tell their partners, bring your boat out. Help us to lug these fish back to the shore because the net was breaking. And when Peter got to the shore, because he had not truly believed that he was going to catch all those fish. He fell down at Jesus' feet and he said, Depart from me, because I am a wicked man. He knew what his own thoughts were. He knew what was in his heart. 
So he fell at Jesus' feet. He had an encounter with Jesus that he had not had before. And the disciples began to follow Jesus, to go with him wherever he went. And Jesus truly did heal the blind, the lame. He did cast out demons. He was trying to teach his disciples to be followers of him. A divine encounter they had that day with Jesus. In Isaiah 65:15, Isaiah also had a divine encounter when he sees God. So let's go to Isaiah 65:15. It's 6.15, I'm sorry. Yes, 6.15. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Sorry, 6, 1 through 5. Does that make sense? Since there's no 15. (laughs) Okay. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he covered his face. With twain he he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts of his glory and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke then said I woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts then an angel comes, he sees the fire, he, he takes a coal of the fire, and he touches Isaiah's lips. Because when you get into the presence of the Lord, he is holy. And we can't stand in his presence except we're cleansed by his blood, we're filled with the spirit, we're called by his name. That was the kind of encounter that Isaiah had. And that was the kind of encounter that the disciples were having with Jesus. He was ministering to them. They were learning to be, you know, it wasn't unusual, like I said, for people to have disciples, to have followers. And they were learning Jesus' ways. Not the commandments of men, but the commandments of God. They were being discipled. They were learning. The priests, the Pharisees, they were concerned about their own welfare. They could not see the condition of their own hearts. When we enter into his presence, it changes us. We help, it helps us to see the way he sees. 
When we read his word and we meditate upon it, we take it in. We grow in his grace and his knowledge. We're learning to be like him. I don't want to take advantage of the times that we can gather together because we are his church. What is the church? Is it a building? Luke wrote in Acts, Luke wrote the book of Luke's, and then he wrote the book of Acts. And it was a continuation. After Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, the disciples continued what they had learned from Jesus. Because what did Jesus ask them one day? He asked his disciples because people wondered. You know, they came out to see John, and the Pharisees had sent their disciples, Who are you, John? Are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? Who are you? They knew that he was a prophet come from God. And the same with Jesus. People wondered who he was. Was he Jeremiah incarnated? Who was he? Was he another Elijah? Was Some people even thought maybe he was John the Baptist again incarnated. They didn't know who he was. But his disciples, did they know who he was? Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? So they repeated. Some say you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah incarnate. Some think you're John the Baptist. But Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. The revelation came at that moment. Who he was. Total revelation? No. But a revelation came that he was the Messiah. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he to you? Each one of us has to answer that question. Is he just a good leader? Is he God, but that's it? If he's God, is he God of your life? Does he sit on the heart of your throne? Are we his disciples? Are we, be, are we being discipled by other, by other things and other people? When you come into his presence, do you realize that that is a privilege? That that's what we're going to do through all eternity is worship him? If we can't worship here, how are we going to worship in eternity? We take it for advantage here. We have to realize that we are the church that praise him, that worship him. Out there, they're not going to do that because they don't know who he is. It is not a building. You are his testimony. You are his hands and his feet. Sometimes we forget, do you just invite people to church? This is not salvation here. This building isn't salvation here. It's the word of your testimony they need to hear. What you have to say, this is what Jesus did for me. I'm sure there are highlights and moments in your life, just like Isaiah, just like Peter and the disciples had, where you're like, this is what God did for me. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. Think about those moments. There are things in my life I will never forget as long as I live. I will never forget the day, the night the Lord told me to get on my knees and pray for my husband because unbeknownst to me and my husband, 
there was going to be a hit and run and he was going to be the victim. It was in the middle of March and he was in shock. And the Lord sent somebody to pick him up and to bring him home. Or he probably would have died because he was in shock when he came home and it was cold outside and he was in a snowbank. Those are moments that I will never forget. There are so many moments in my life. I will never forget the day that I was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. These are moments that I will not forget because we are his church. And when we go out in the midst of other people, we have what they need. By having a conversation, you're going to be touching the heart of a preordained meeting with somebody. And as things get perilous out there, we need to be able to bring his peace, the church, the confidence, knowing who he is to that world. We are the laborers. He didn't say pray for the harvest. He said pray for the laborers. And such a lesson I learned from Brother Parker is in that moment, you pray in that moment. If they ask you to pray for them, you pray in the moment. And don't be afraid to speak. You know, you don't need to be an orator. That's not what God's asking of you. Just tell your story. Tell the story of what God did in the Bible. Tell the story of others that you know. It's not hard because we are the church, not this building, we Someday the building may go away, but the church of God is going to stand forever. One thing I remember, when brother and sister Wendell went to Ethiopia, it took years, years for them to get there. In fact, the way the door door was opened, because the Freemans, that's where they wanted to go. They wanted to go to a place called Broken Knee in English, Broken Knee, Ethiopia, But the doors were closed, and they never had the opportunity to go there until years later. So Ethiopia, they kept praying for that country. And because of an obedient man, Brother Urshan, he was at an airport, and he saw this woman at the ticket gate who was not understanding what the ticket person was trying to get across to them. So he went to assist her. She was Ethiopian. She needed to get back to Ethiopia. And he helped her through that process. Well, she was the daughter of the Ethiopian ambassador. So he called Brother Urshan. Brother Urshan gave her his phone number and said, if you have any other trouble, any other difficulties, give me a call. We'll help you. He didn't know who she was. She was just a lady that was in trouble. And so he got a call from the ambassador And he said, I understand that you helped my daughter. Yes, yes, I did. And he said, well, is there anything I can do for you? And um, Brother Urshan said, well, there is one thing. He said, "Um, we have been trying to get into Ethiopia, and it's been closed to us. Because Ethiopia was run by a dictator, but it also was run by the Ethiopian religion, which was the Coptic Christians. They were kind of Christian. They ran everything. You couldn't get married unless they said you could get married. You couldn't get a license. 
you couldn't get buried unless they said you could get buried and you had to belong to their their church and you had to abide by their beliefs and so uh the ambassador do do you remember when god took philip up and took him to the ethiopian and he spoke to him that was the key that was because of that they had gone back into their file and because of that we were able to get into Ethiopia at that time you never know who God will bring across your path so when the Wendells went there they were there for a time the government had changed and they were kicked out again and brother Wendell said to that leader he said men like you have come and gone but the word of god shall stand forever after you die the church of the living god will still be here because we are the church it's not a building it's us would you raise to your feet please Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we are called by your name, that we can represent you. We can't do it on our own. There's no perfection, no good, no, no good in us, but you, O oh Lord, your reflection. As we grow in your grace and your knowledge, as we reflect you, O oh God, let us be your hands. Let us be your feet. Let us be your mouthpiece, O oh Lord. When you bring us in situations and circumstances that maybe we don't have the answer, oh God, you can speak it to us, and then we can speak it to others. We thank you for the privilege to come to worship you, oh God, with our whole mind, with our whole body, with our whole spirit, with our whole heart, oh Lord. Let us not be slothful in this day, oh Lord. Let us take advantage of every opportunity that we are able to gather together as your people in one accord. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your loving kindness. We thank you that we can know who you are and that we do have the privilege to worship you. And as your disciples, let us go forth.